Hi, this is Sandy Rios of Sandy Rios 24-7. Today you are in for a treat. Well, kind of a hard treat, but a treat. Maybe solid food, I should say. This is an update on Israel. We haven't spoken about it in too long. And I am delighted that we have one of the nation's leading experts on what's going on there right now. Shoshana Bryan will join us from the Jewish Policy Center in Washington, D.C. We're going to be talking uh, with Shoshana about the brutality of those attacks by Hamas in Gaza, uh, in in Israel, northern Israel. We're going to talk about that today, among other things. And the thing that struck me when we were talking, because so much of it centered on brutalizing babies, just incomprehensible, uh, difficult to hear. Uh, Where's that coming from? Where is that coming from? We know how God feels about slaughtering innocent babies. We know how he feels. He said that if you do something to hurt or to misguide or to mislead, one of the least of these, talking about little children, you might as well be thrown into the sea with a rock tied to your leg. It would be better for that to happen to you. So we know how God feels about this. And And by the same token, when we support or do nothing to stop the slaughter of babies in our own country, in our own supposed pristine facilities where behind closed doors and in our operating rooms with, you know, gloves and all of the paraphernalia of modern medicine, uh, they are dismantling and tearing apart the bodies of babies. We can be pretty much assured that God feels the same way about that. And so with that in mind, Preborn is trying to help moms and it is helping them not to make this horrific mistake that many of them will regret for the rest of their lives. And that is the taking of their own baby's life. They're providing ultrasounds, preborn is, with your help uh, so that moms can make a better choice, can make a life giving choice, both for them and for their baby. It's $28 per ultrasound. It's Christmas time. What a wonderful time to give to such a wonderful ministry. Go to preborn dot com slash sandy that's preborn dot com slash sandy and make your most generous donation well you know that you can listen to sandy reels 24 7 on any podcast network on your favorite one or on our favorite which is afr.net that's our mother's ship uh you can write us at sandy at afr.net you can call us at 662-821-2040 you can go to sandyrios.com for more information about the show and about other things. Uh, and you can listen to the show there, too, by the way. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and you know the drill. Hey, thanks for your patience for listening to that every day. I hope you know I have to have patience to repeat it every day. But that's the only way we can get the word out about how to listen and what to do. So I, I do appreciate your um, your patience. So this is going to be a great show. I actually spent two days with Shoshana Bryan. So I hope that you will sit back, take a pencil and paper, and listen to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness that we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. 
Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. The U.N. has called the situation in southern Gaza apocalyptic. The current offensive has ended any possibility of providing help to 2.3 million people trapped inside Gaza, other than call for an immediate end to the fighting. Israeli tanks plow through the desert, expanding a ground assault the Israeli military says is now in the heart of the southern city of Khan Yunus. Trapped in this ferocious battle and increasingly cornered, hundreds of thousands of civilians forced from the north now ordered to evacuate Khan Yunus immediately. But aid agencies say they're running out of places to escape the onslaught. All right, Sandy Rios with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. Some of you might wonder what's happening in Israel right now. It's, uh, I don't want this to go the way of Ukraine, where it drags on and on and on and people lose interest, because this, is, uh, this has worldwide implications and certainly implications here at home. I'm very, um, I'm looking forward to my discussion. My guest is Shoshana Bryan. She is the senior director of the Jewish Policy Center, and she's the editor of In Focus Quarterly. She's a leading specialist in the U.S. defense policy and Middle East affairs uh, there's a lot to say about Shoshana. Let me say a few more things. Uh, she has um, she runs a weekly seminar for the Jewish Policy Center. She has created a program to take cadets and midshipmen of America's service academies to Israel for a three-week work-study program that has permitted hundreds of future officers. Uh, she worked for, in national security studies in Tel Aviv. She's lectured at the National Defense University and, and many, many other things. So it's a great privilege to have Shoshana Bryan join us this morning. Good morning, Shoshana. Good morning, Sandy. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Well, let's talk first about uh, what's happening now in Israel. We, I bet CBS, you know, they have a spin. They're more concerned about the people of Hamas than they are what happened on October 7th in that massacre. Uh, but, uh, but what is happening in Israel right now? So let's go to the little intro that you ran focused entirely on the fact that Palestinians are moving south. Uh, yes, they are. But there is a place for them to go, and they cannot get there. And that should be the focus of U.S. policy. Gaza shares a border with Egypt, an Arab country, a country that Palestinians should be able to find refuge in. Egypt has shut the door, slammed it 100%. Not one Gaza refugee will go over the border from Gaza to Egypt. And that is a horror, because the Sinai Desert is there, and there is room for refugee camps. This is temporary, by the way. The Palestinians will be able to go back to Gaza when Israel is finished. There's room for refugee camps. There's room for humanitarian assistance. There is room for medical assistance. And the Egyptians said no. And that should be unacceptable to the United States government. So whatever they tell you about civilians, remember two things. One is they do have a place to go, and they are not allowed to get there. And two, the problem for civilians in Gaza is that Hamas dug underneath their homes. You're beginning to see reports coming out of Israel from soldiers, one of whom said there wasn't a single civilian house without weapons. There isn't a house without uh, tunnel infrastructure. We found Kalashnikovs under mattresses, inside of clothes closets. In other words, every civilian structure could have been and was used by Hamas as a military 
um, post. So Israel Wait. has to get rid of all that. You know, it Shoshana, all has to go. Uh, you know that uh, clip? I'm, I bet you heard this. Uh, this was a, a Hamas fighter calling his father and posting on Instagram. I think it was Instagram how he had just killed mm-hmm. ten Jews. And he was so excited. Yes. I played that whole call on the show and translated it. Uh, my father, father, I've just killed. I just killed a Jewish woman. I'm, I'm, I've got her phone. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a hero, dad. You know, and the whole family gets on. The little brother's excited. And I try. I'd made the point at the time, Shoshana. At least it's. I, I listen. I have a definite prejudice. I confess right up front that I'm pro-Israel, and it's hard for me to feel kindly. Uh, toward anyone in Gaza right now, and I have the opinion that there aren't many innocent people there. And uh, do you think that's a fair assessment? I I know Israel tries to be very fair about this. So I'm asking you, are there innocent Gazans except for babies uh, who don't understand what's going on there or not in favor of what Hamas is doing? There must be some. I haven't found too many. Look, the truth of the matter is, if you go back and look at Life magazine, remember Life magazine? In 1970, Life magazine had a cover story about how Palestinians were indoctrinating small children in warfare and Jew hatred. And this was 1970. You can see the picture. The kids are about five or six, seven years old. So that's 53 years ago. Those six or seven-year-olds are now in their 60s. So the hatred and the inculcation of the idea that they should hate has been there for a very long time. Hamas is the latest incarnation of this, but it's been going on forever. Generations of kids were raised to be generations of adults who believe that Jews need to be killed and Israel needs to be erased. So, yeah, there are some some innocent civilians, but you have to ask yourself how many. You know, let me just play a clip. Uh, This is a Gazan woman uh, who, now this is, she's speaking her language, so I'll just tell people what she's saying. It's not that long. Uh, but she's being asked by someone with a microphone. I guess he's a reporter, but it's kind of a uh, doesn't... It's t- it's very... It's a poor picture. Everyone's poor. Everybody's dirty. And I don't know who's who. But she's a Gazan woman, and he actually asks her, you know, well, now aid has, aid has been coming in, and she gets... She's a little woman in a kerchief, and she fights back, and she says, no. The aid is going to the tunnels, to the to the Gazans. They're getting all the aid, and the guy pushes back, and she gets even more angry. I just I want people to listen to that. That's clip three. She's ending by saying, they, they sh- they'd kill me, they'll shoot me. They don't care about us. Uh, so I just thought, as a counter, there, are, there certainly are people who are suffering there who don't like Hamas. Uh, she may be one of those examples of that. But, um, you there, know, I want to add... There are, certainly, there are certainly people suffering there, Sandy. There's no question that there are people suffering, and some of them are good people. But the majority of the system in which they live is a militarized system owned by Hamas. You know, I'm really interested in uh, uh, another tag of this that you just said about Egypt. I, I'm just pondering. Uh, some, we have to always kind of lay some groundwork because people don't watch 
people don't, they're living their lives and they don't know all of this, but I want to bring it to people's minds that Egypt had terrible conflict with the Muslim Brotherhood, which is the form of Islam we have here in this country for the most part. Uh, it is an enemy of this state, uh, but that's that's for later discussion. But uh, Fatah el-Sisi, the general there, uh, defeated uh, the Muslim Brotherhood there. It was amazing. It was amazing to watch. So he's been an ally, at least he was an ally, during the Trump administration of ours. Uh, so why do you think? I mean, wh- why is he preventing uh, refugees from Hamas or from Gaza Strip uh, from coming into Egypt? What, what, what's, what do you speculate on that? There's no speculation. He's clear. Um, and al-Sisi is a friend and an ally to the United States as regards the Muslim Brotherhood. Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood. Hamas is the Palestinian arm of the Muslim Brotherhood. And al-Sisi doesn't want those people in Gaza because he is afraid that they will leave, uh, sorry, in Sinai, because he is afraid that they will leave Sinai and again threaten Egypt. So okay. he's clear. Yep. These okay. people are not people he accepts. Well, I get that. I mean, that you can understand then. I mean, you can understand. Wow, what a discussion. And we'll get back to it in just a second, I promise. But I want to take a moment to ask you some important medical care questions that could really save your life. Does your particular medical plan allow you to choose your doctors? And does your doctor, your own doctor, provide the best treatment for your illness? Are you sure? Or is it your doctor sold out to medicine uh, and big pharma? you know, the, the people that make money from medicines. I have never been so more suspicious of that than I have been after, after COVID. We saw a travesty there, and now we need answers, and we know a little bit more than we knew before, and that's why I strongly recommend Christian Healthcare Ministries. When you enroll with chministries.org slash Sandy, you will have the freedom to choose doctors who share your values and will not withhold the proper treatment because they're sold out. CH Ministries is affordable, It's the longest-serving, or you might say the first and original cost-sharing ministry. It's assisted members with nearly $10 billion in medical bills. It's not a small entity. chministries.org slash Sandy members have access to 24-7 telehealth services at absolutely no additional cost. You know, it's no surprise why doctors appreciate working with CHM, and you will too. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash Sandy. And with any time enrollment, you can sign up today and be in a community of believers that will pay and pray for you. chministries.org slash Sandy. Now, one other story that I'm hearing, and um, we briefly spoke yesterday. I had heard, in fact, I should play this. This is Sky News uh, bringing their perspective on what's happening with the tunnels. And then I want to know what's actually happening from you, Shoshana. Here it is, clip eight. Flooding the tunnels, is that really an option? It's technically feasible, Mark. I mean, the uh, Egyptians did it in 2015, some of the tunnels that ran from southern Gaza into Sinai. Um, putting high-pressure seawater through, through them is something that the oil and gas industry do all, every day, and the Israelis are said to have five big pumps ready. Uh, it's soft sandstone, so it means that, you know, the, the area, the geology of Gaza is comparatively easy to dig tunnels, comparatively, but they also tend to, tend to flood because of the nature of the land. So it's not difficult to flood the tunnels. Problem for the Israelis is that, yes, it might flush out Hamas fighters if they're down there, but maybe there are hostages down there. And how would that go if they actually ended up drowning their own hostages? 
Um, also, it would almost certainly pollute the aquifers, the natural aquifers. I mean, Gaza has almost very little of its own water. Most of its water supplies via Israel. If they polluted the aquifers that it has got, there would be a big, big problem. So, yes, it could be done. Um, whether they will do it, I don't know. I think there's a bit of psychological warfare about this. In a sense, they're trying to flush the Hamas fighters out of the tunnels with words before they have to use seawater. All right, that's Sky News. Now, Shoshana... I have talked about those tunnels on this uh, podcast, but I think we should do some background before you tell us what's actually happened there. Can you just kind of lay the groundwork and help uh, Americans who haven't don't know much about the tunnels, about what this is all about and this notion of flooding these tunnels? Okay. Hamas built between five and 600 miles of tunnels underground. They put them under cities. They put them under hospitals. They put them under... UN schools, they put them everywhere. Now, what's a tunnel for? The tunnel is to keep Hamas safe underneath the civilians of Gaza. They put their weapons there. They put their soldiers there. They put, you know, whatever they want to protect goes down in the tunnel. The assumption being that if Israel wants to get rid of Hamas, they're going to have to bomb from above, and they will kill civilians by nature. They're going to kill civilians because the civilians are on top of the tunnel. Five to six hundred miles of tunnels in a place like Gaza is a huge underground infrastructure. And very few people paid attention when they were built. The cement that went into those tunnels was cement that was brought in for civilian purposes. Humanitarian aid has gone to Gaza forever, forever, since 1967. But Hamas has been stealing it, and no one paid attention until now. And now they're all crying about there's no humanitarian aid. Billions and billions of dollars went into those tunnels. Now, if you know that the guys are underneath the city and you need to get them out and you don't want to bomb from above, you have to get them from below. And the Israelis have tunnel tracking technology and they have gone into some of the tunnels and they have collapsed a number of the tunnels. Seawater is the next option because you won't kill the people on the top. Yeah, you know, in my understanding, uh, Shoshana, I'm sure you can confirm this, this was one of the most disgusting things that came to my attention was that the Biden administration, all the while pretending to help, uh, was not allowing the U.S. military to give supplies and, and things like bunker, a bunk, I think it's called bunker buster bombs, which is what's been traditionally used to clean out those, as I understand it, those tunnels, that they were refusing that. So that Israel had to come up with their own method. Can you confirm that and maybe fill in the blanks a little bit about that? I would say they delayed on the bunker busters. They have now sent them. Um, I don't think I don't think they'll be used, frankly. At this point in the war, I don't think they'll be used. But the administration delayed on a lot of things. They have since decided to go ahead and supply them. But yeah, it changed Israel's calculus because if you assume you have a bomb, you might use the bomb. If you don't have the bomb, you'll do something else. And frankly, in this case, I think the Israelis didn't want to keep bombing the the surface of Gaza. I mean, there's a limit to what you want to do there. Yes. Well, in hospitals, and of course, the, the PR, this is what, the, this is what uh, I don't need to tell you, but Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, they, they are masters at propaganda, masters, masters at visual and uh, feigning things. They're, they're actors. It's, it's really amazing to me. Uh, so, so Israel, it's a no-win situation, you know, when you try to under, even explain that hospitals are located over these tunnels on purpose, uh, that, um, you know, Osama bin Laden held his wife up uh, between him and the shooter so he could, she could die for him. This is, 
They don't think like we think. You know, um, yeah. Shoshana, that must be the hardest thing, I would think, for Israelis, is to combat a worldview that is so very different and incomprehensible to the rest of the West and try to make make people understand what they're having to do. But this is where you have to look at U.S. government. I would say that President Biden has rhetorically, rhetorically, been excellent on this. He says the right things. He says supportive things. But the policies of the administration are based on the idea that you can give your enemies something, and then they will not be your enemies anymore. They'll be your friends. It's U.S. policy toward Iran. It's U.S. policy toward the Houthis. Frankly, it's Israeli policy in some ways as well. The Israelis supply energy to Gaza. They supplied water to Gaza. Your Sky News guy talked about Gaza getting their water from Israel. There was a hope that you could bring people to you. And that's a very Western concept. It is not a Middle Eastern concept. It's not, a, it's not anybody's concept. It's our Western concept. And that's where Israel gets nailed. Because eventually, at some point, you have to realize that being nice to your enemy doesn't work. You have to get rid of your enemy. And the West is having trouble with that concept. Yes. Well, of we course, Israel... <laughs> by the way, the Allies didn't have it in World War II. No, no, you they did not. You had to get rid of the Nazis. You had to get rid of the Japanese militaristic society. Yes. Those well, even going back... understood. There would be even... no peace until they were gone. And even going back to the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, as wonderful a president as he was, and he's one of my favorites, understood there had to be a Sherman's march to the sea, destroying everything in its, in its wake, because otherwise the Confederates would never have, they would never have stopped. There, that concept of war has, you know, been generally understood. Of course, the history of the Jews is proof, you know, that that has to be done, that God himself instructed the Jews to sometimes eradicate whole populations. I'm not saying you randomly do that. I am not saying that for people who don't understand that mention. I'm not saying that's always called for. God would never do that. But on occasion, it is. And when you've got an enemy like Hamas, that's why Benjamin Netanyahu, didn't he make a speech kind of referring? Help me understand. He, he, that's kind of his view on yeah. eradicating Hamas, right? Yes. You, you have to... But people say to him, to Israel, you can't er- eradicate the ideology of Hamas. And that is true. But you can take away its military capabilities... You can excise it from the government of of Gaza. You can get rid of its capabilities in Gaza. That's what we did with the Nazis in World War II. We could not erase Nazi ideology. As you know, there are still people in the world who believe what Nazis believe. But we could excise the military capability of the Nazi army. We could get the Nazis out of power. We could teach people a different way. We could demand different behavior. And it didn't take all that long after the actual defeat and actual surrender of Nazi Germany for German civilians to realize they didn't want to have a piece of that anymore. That wasn't the way to go in society. And you the know, Germans I, became what? They became democratic country, NATO ally. They became, you know, so no, you can't get rid of the ideology, but you can change the people's focus on how they want to live. And that has to be done in Gaza. You know, I, I was Shoshana. I used to live in Berlin when I was younger. And it was right after, it was during the Cold War, uh, but I have to tell you, and I know you know this, that the, the Germans were so ashamed. They were so ashamed, and they were silent. I mean, I'm sure some were not ashamed, but many of them were. And I think I, I, later I met a, uh, I got to know a tour guide who's German, whose father was a Nazi, and 
He wouldn't even, we went to Auschwitz and he wouldn't even go in because he felt so much shame for what his father had done. I just wanted to give the illustration that, that you're right. I wanted to put flesh on what you just said. But let's, let's go back totally to. You're totally right. You're totally right, Sandy. In the, uh, in the context of Germany, General Rommel was a big foe to the United States. His son was elected mayor in post-war Germany and became a great friend of Israel, a friend of the Jews. It's absolutely true that you can excise an ideology and make people see a different way to live. And they'll take it. In many cases, they'll take it. Yeah. Well, it's a certainly this an uphill... what the Abraham Accords are all about, by the way. We're not yeah. really doing Abraham Accords, but let's for a minute do that. What makes the UAE and Bahrain and Morocco, what makes them want to um, work with Israel? They've given up that concept the ugly concept of the eradication of the Jewish state, and they found a different and better way for their people. And so countries that used to be at war with Israel are no longer at war with Israel. They found a better way. Yeah. But and you that, can't I, find a better way when the people are oppressed. No, that's true. But it is, you know, Islam is so old, and the teachings are so deeply embedded, as you described, like and we talk about the 70s, but embedded more deeply than that. This is... This is uphill. This is a big boulder pushing uphill. But I, I think you're right, uh, and we have to do this. We have, if we're going to coexist, we cannot coexist with Islamic uh, radical teaching. I guess radical really doesn't ring a bell with me. I think it's Islamic teaching, a, a orthodox Islamic teaching. We can't coexist with that. It has to be altered. Something has to give here, and that's what we're seeing. Well, yeah, but I think you also have to separate carefully. A lot of what you're seeing is Arab, not Islamic. And if you look at Islam, for example, in Asia, it grew in a different way because culture was different. And how you interpret the teachings make all the difference in the world. You have a set of irredeemable people in the Middle East. I I truly believe that there is a set of people that's irredeemable. And you see them among the, the government and the mullahs in Iran, not the Iranian people. Iranian people who are Muslim no, people true. had a great relationship with Israel until the Mullahs took over. So to your point about there are good people, yes, there are. But so, uh, if yeah. they're taught by radicals, they're going to be hopeless people. Yeah, I always think of it, you know, uh, you know I'm a Christian, and, and as, a, as a Jew, you know that there are so many different brands of uh, Judaism and the embracing, you know, how seriously people embrace Moses' teachings and the the, the what I'm trying to say, the Torah, but and for Christians, it's the same thing. We have people, all kinds of ranges, and that's kind of the way I view Islam. There are different ranges of uh, of uh, embracing the full thing or just taking half a loaf. And so maybe in some ways that's our salvation that many of them don't take the whole loaf. And uh, those are the people maybe. that you just described in Iran. But you know what we left dangling, and I, I want to go back to it, and that is the tunnels, because um, right. Shoshana, do we know if there we suspected that hostages were in the tunnels? Some have been released, and we'll maybe talk about the hostages in more detail in a second, but what about the tunnels? What is Israel now decided to do, and what are they do, or what have they done? Okay, what they decided to do, most importantly what they decided not to do, is go through the tunnels themselves. In other words, insert Israeli troops into the tunnels because there are too many opportunities for the tunnels to be 
um, booby traps or to have fighters in them. So that was the first decision. The second decision is they have tunnel tracking capabilities. They can hear from outside the tunnels what goes on inside the tunnels to a large degree. So if there are people in the tunnels, there was a great set of pictures yesterday. I don't know if you saw these of men in their underwear sitting in the streets. I did see that. Did you see men in their underwear? Yes. Okay, you know what those are? Those are Hamas fighters who came out of the tunnels and surrendered to Israel. And because uh, blowing oneself up in the name of Islam is not unheard of, the Israelis took their clothes away and they had them sitting there. But they found these guys who were in the tunnels and they threatened them and the guys came out and surrendered. So you learn two things. First of all, Israel can find people in the tunnels without going down into the tunnels themselves. Secondly, you discover that the Hamas fighters are perfectly willing to see dead civilians, their own civilians, not to mention Jewish civilians, their own civilians, but they surrender when they have a chance because they don't want to die. And that's very important. Whether the Israelis are using seawater already, um, it's not clear. There There are reports that they have already done some flooding. There are reports that they have not done flooding. But so far, they're using it as a mechanism to flush, as you say, you know, flush these people out anyway. And the Israelis don't care how they come out. If they want to come out and sit in their underwear, that's fine. If they don't, (laughs) they're liable to find themselves flooded out. Wow. Isn't that so? So, so, is that... Wait, to your point, let me me just say, to your point about the hostages, um, nobody knows. Because in some cases, Hamas handed people over to other groups of people. And you find that there were hostages in places that perhaps you would not have expected. One woman was rescued. She was in the hands of a teacher from a U.N. school, from an UNRWA school. And we can talk about UNRWA later. But she was in somebody's home until she was returned. So you could have hostages in houses. You could have them in tunnels. You could have them in a lot of places. And the Israelis have to be very careful how they do this. But the one thing I think I've learned in a really long time is never second-guess the Israelis about the choices they make. They are going to do their utmost to do two things. One is not kill Palestinian civilians, and two is bring the hostages home alive. Those are the goals. Whatever else happens, those are the goals. And eliminating Hamas, that's still the goal, right? Well, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, the ultimate, right. You have to get to your goal. Right, right, right. Okay, so uh, I'm I'm majoring on Israel now uh, for for just a second more. Uh, are you? I thought you know when the soldiers, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, were forced to stop and start and stop and start and stop and start. I just I I um I figured I reckoned this was really hard on them. I, who could do that? That's just a ter- that's really horrible for men who've geared up to go into war. So uh, what can you say about that and about the mood in Israel right now? Two separate things. What I would say about the soldiers, yes, it's hard to stop and start. However, they didn't just stop and sit still. They evaluated their tactics of the prior weeks. They evaluated where they needed to make changes. They made a lot of changes in how they were going to do this. They took new information. You know, they did a lot of things in that time. So it wasn't just sitting there and waiting to start again. Um, it's an evaluation process. Sort of like what happens when your football team loses big time. We in Washington are used to having a football team. Lose <laughs> yes, time. you are. You sit still on the week that follows, and you evaluate what you did right 
<laughs> and what you did wrong. And that was what the Israelis spent their time on. And you can see changes in their tactics. Um, mood in Israel? Angry. Angry. Israelis lost 1,200 to 1,300 people in the most gruesome, disgusting, ghoulish, vampirish ways imaginable, including a baby who was baked in an oven in front of his parents. Think about that for a minute. First of all, Jews in ovens, for us, it's the worst image in the world, a baby, okay? The Israelis are furious, and they're furious at two levels. First of all, they want to get rid of Hamas now. There's nobody who's arguing in favor of conversation, discussion, negotiation, forget it, two-state solution, dead as a doornail, nothing. They are furious. But they're also angry with their own government. And this remains uh, something to be discussed later, not so much now. Mistakes the government made. What were they? How bad were they? How much did they impact this? Those things are going to be looked at later, but it goes to the mood of the country. Everybody's behind the government right now. Win the war first. But Israel has a history of creating commissions, and I mean serious commissions, not, you know, house hearings where you, you talk and then you go home and it doesn't matter. Commissions to evaluate things, and those commissions have a history of forcing resignations in large numbers. And I suspect you will see those commissions again after the war. That's really interesting. Angry. Yeah, you know, because uh, as we should say, for people that might not have been following this, that Israel was so divided before this happened, so divided, just felt much like it seemed to me what was happening in this country, um, just just divided and attacks against, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the, I don't live there. So I don't claim to have insight into what's really true and what isn't. But the division was overwhelming, and the, the government was log-jammed for such a long time. So are, are you past, are you saying that Israel is past that for the moment? For the moment. You're absolutely right to understand the divisions in Israel very much like the divisions in the United States. It was a left-right divide. It focused on something called judicial reform, which is an internal Israeli matter, and the U.S. government should have kept its mouth shut. But yeah, so... They did have enormous social divide. But when you get to the bottom line, it's Israel, and you have to defend it. And I'll tell you one thing, two things that happened, actually. One of the divides was there are groups of Israeli men who are not drafted into the IDF, and those are a category of Orthodox Jewish men who study in particular Torah schools. Many Orthodox men, most Orthodox men, do serve. They're drafted like everybody else. There's a category of them that do not serve. And this irritates Israelis. When the war started, they had more than 2,000 of those young men go to the IDF and say, we want to enlist. Wow. Because much as they were not drafted and not draftable, Wow. when push came to shove, those guys lined up to get into the Army, and they were oh, taken man. in the Army. That gives me chills. So, I mean, it really does. It gives me chills, too, to tell <laughs> the story. It gives me chills. And the other thing... Um, as is secular Israelis, many secular Israelis were unhappy with those young men, they, they, students, rabbinical students, yeshiva students. Um, it flopped over kind of into a, a secular religious divide. The other very important part of Israeli society is a group, it's an unfortunate group, a group called Zaka. Zaka is comprised of Orthodox Jews who go to places after 
if they're lucky, accidents or whatever, but also bombings and terrorist attacks, and they collect the bodies. And they prepare them for burial in a traditional Jewish way. And after the massacres of October 7th, it was the Zaka people who went to the south of Israel. And not only did they, excuse me for being a little bit gross, but not only do they collect bodies, they collect body parts. They collect skin. They collect organs. Because in Jewish tradition, Jewish law, everything has to receive a respectful burial. Everything. Mm -hmm. And when you understand that these Zaka guys went down there and they worked for weeks to deal with burnt bodies and dead people and raped women and all it provided a new avenue for understanding among the rest of the population about everybody serves in their own way. You know, I want to, uh, before, I want to come to the United States in just a second, but before we leave that, I want to play uh, this. Now, I'm going to tell people before I play this that this is not for your children. Uh, this whole subject matter, I guess, is uh, we, we be so, so careful sometimes about how we say things, and I'm not ob- objecting to that, but sometimes it makes us not realize how horrific things are. This is a clip of people, I don't know if they were part of the group you're talking about, but describing what they saw on that October 7th massacre. And this is the reason for the anger in Israel. This is the reason why all of us should be angry. This is the reason why Hamas must be destroyed. This is the reason why Israel must prevail in this. This is clip two. I saw it with my own eyes, what happened and what they've gone through, those young girls. We have tons of evidence that prove the systematic abuse of the women. Girls, mothers, even young children. You strip her out of her clothes. Her boyfriend is got shot in the head, spread her legs. After they done what they done, they executed her. Survivor witnessed concentration area of uh, women who were brought by the Hamas terrorists and raped. Many of the rapes are very, very brutal. Gang rapes, so brutal that their pelvic bones were broken. We had GoPro cameras from terrorists, uh, CCTV cameras, uh, cameras from cars. Footage of a 19-year-old being taken with her hands bound and bloodstains on her pants in a manner that is typical to sexual abuse. The way we found them in the, in the field, they abused them, cutting parts of their bodies while they're still alive. A very detailed statement of a survivor. She witnessed a rape of a naked young woman that during the actual act of the rape, the terrorist cut off one of her breasts and the other terrorist started to play with it. We went with the survivor to the actual place where she described and we find clothes of women all over the place, which give a significant element to her statement. They praise the Lord, Allah Akbar. What kind of God can support this kind of act? Shoshana, as horrible as that is, I have to tell you, I got an email from a listener saying, you know, I, I don't know what to trust. We see people, may, uh, you know, creating theater. They created theater in a Ukraine. Uh, some of the things that they say happened there that didn't, and they kind of spun a tale. I'm not, I'm not saying, look, Ukraine is complicated too, so I'm not really taking an, yep. opin- 
a position, an absolute, but I do know that things were faked and misreported. We saw that during COVID. We saw we see the Arab world doing that all the time. We see uh, CARE, which I'd like to get to if we can, here in this country, faking things, faking, crying, faking injuries, faking attacks. So the person emailing me, the listener, said, "How I don't believe anyone anymore. How can people know that this these descriptions are true? You, you decide in your life, you decide who you're going to trust. You start by trusting your parents. You can trust teachers. You might trust your religious leaders. You decide who you're going to trust. But in this case specifically, you have visual evidence. I mean, the audio that you played was terrible. And you're right. Parents shouldn't let their children hear that stuff. But there is visual evidence and visual evidence from Hamas's own telephones and cameras. And so you have to understand that if they shoot it themselves and they're proud of what they've done, then you probably can believe what they say. Now, I'll tell you another story. I told you about the baby in the oven, okay? There is a Palestinian man, a Gaza man, a Hamas man, who claims to be a poet and a scholar and an author and all kinds of lovely things. He tweeted the story of the baby in the oven, and his comment at the top of it was, with baking soda or not with baking soda? Okay? I believe that man hates Jews. I believe that man hates Israelis. I believe when when he puts his name on it and he says, I do this to kill people and I do this to hurt people and I do this because I hate people, I believe him. Hamas is not denying it. Hamas doesn't deny what it did. In fact, Hamas leadership, including Yahya Sinwar, the head of Hamas in Gaza, says October 7th was only the first time. We're going to do it again. We're going to kill more. I believe them. You know who covers up for them? It's people in the United States. College yes. students. Rashida Tlaib, she says, from the river to the sea, oh, it's just an aspiration for peace, peaceful-loving Palestinians. No, it isn't. It means kill them. It means erase Israel. I believe her when she, when she promotes Palestine over Israel. I believe her. I do, too. So I have We're my speaking... own group of, of my friends who I believe because I trust them over time. But I also believe the bad guys when they tell you what they plan to do, and then they do it. We're talking with Shoshana Bryan, and she is the, uh, the senior director of the Jewish Policy Center. She's had vast experience in military affairs in Israel and here. She's a writer, publisher, and uh, she was highly recommended to me by a very dear friend who I trust uh, deeply. And so, Shoshana, you're right. Uh, This is what I say to my listeners, too. You have to learn who you can trust. And uh, and you have to vet things, but you have to learn who you can trust and be very, very careful about that. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Well, I know that was rough to hear. And, you know, honestly, even with what we're reporting here and with the clips I played, you are still not hearing all the atrocities and the horrible things. And so much of it centered on babies. A baby's uh, now even baking a baby in an oven is bad enough um, that they did other things. So, um, you know what? That grieves us. Why does that grieve us? Because those of us that are believers in Christ have taken on the mind of Christ, and God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. 
And when his spirit is grieved, we are grieved too. And so that's why we are motivated to help preborn stop this, our own kind of slaughter here in the United States, our own kind of horrendous, inexplicable, unforgivable murder of babies. And what they do is they preborn along with us. We're us now, I guess. We work together to let these moms see the picture of their babies in utero. And most of the time, over half of them, they're different, varying stats, but over half of them at least decide to keep their babies. Think about that. Think about that. And you can help by going to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy and making your most generous donation. I saw it with my own eyes, what happened and what they've gone through, those young girls. We have tons of evidence that prove the systematic abuse of the women. Girls, mothers, even young children. You strip her out of her clothes. Her boyfriend is got shot in the head, spread her legs. And after they done what they done, they executed her. Survivor witnessed concentration area of uh, women who were brought by the Hamas terrorists and raped. Many of the rapes are very, very brutal. Gang rapes, so brutal that their pelvic bones were broken. We had GoPro cameras from terrorists, uh, CCTV cameras, uh, cameras from cars. Footage of a 19-year-old being taken with her hands bound and bloodstains on her pants in a manner that is typical to sexual abuse. The way we found them in the, in the field, they abused them, cutting parts of their bodies while they're still alive. A very detailed statement of a survivor. She witnessed a rape of a naked young woman that during the actual act of the rape, the terrorist cut off one of her breasts and the other terrorist started to play with it. We went with the survivor to the actual place where she described and we find clothes of women all over the place, which give a significant element to her statement. They praise the Lord, Allah Akbar. What kind of God can support this kind of act? They praise the Lord. That was an Israeli soldier. He's saying, they praise the Lord, Allah Akbar. What kind of God would you praise for that? Bruce, I've asked my husband, Bruce, a former FBI agent, to join me and my sweetheart. Uh, I've said a lot today, Bruce. I would like to know what you think about what we just heard. It's almost, it defies description. Um, the act alone is bad enough, but but the way that these people, these and I use people loosely when I'm referring to them. I think they're animals. But this this abuse of women was systematic. They filmed it as they did it. They celebrated as they did this. This, it is not human behavior. It is beyond, you know, we saw things in the Holocaust that appalled us. I think these things are every bit as bad. We are seeing a present-day Holocaust by a group of people that should be eradicated from this earth. Uh, I, well, I think God will take care of that. 
uh, maybe through human hands, but certainly he's not going to stand for this. I'm not sure how long he's going to stand for it, but he won't. I believe that he's coming again soon. I really do. I've, I've never been one to say that because I feel it's uh, too easy to say, but I believe that this kind of wickedness, I know he destroyed the earth the first time because of the wickedness man did to, to the wickedness he saw. He said the thoughts of men were continually equal. Uh, wicked always. And he repented that he'd made man. And I don't know that God could feel any other way right now. It has to stop. And I know justice is in God's hands. And I may have really stepped over his line when I, when I call for the eradication of these people, but the asking the state of Israel to somehow get along with these people, I think is beyond is it's beyond asking and it's about time that people realized that a two-state solution uh a carve out for uh uh palestinians which by their own voting means hamas a carve out for them that is not going to work no and bruce i want to just point out something you you are a warrior in your own way you are you're an fbi agent who had to exact justice and had to enforce the law. And so I don't think, you know, look, I'm not the final authority on this. It's just after talking to General Boykin, who's a warrior himself in the in the U.S. military and other military people who are Christians, uh, there is a warrior's heart that has to be there. Someone has to be willing and feel the way you did. Uh, this like Bibi Netanyahu was saying, we've got to wipe out, we've got to destroy Hamas. Well, that doesn't mean, you know, uh, cut off their allowance. That means something much more. This is necessary. It's just not language that American Christians are accustomed to. Uh, but it's certainly the language of Scripture, when it's a righteous cause, the thing that we cannot do is take it upon ourselves to take people's lives. It has to be a corporate decision by a government or by a, a political entity, a people's entity, uh, to do collectively to a group of people what the people decide should be done. So it can't that a murder is when you decide to do that on your own. So that's not what you're talking about. So I just want to defend you. You are a warrior. What would we do without you? What would we what would we have done with you if you said, "Oh, I can't go uh, arrest that um that guy who's burned down this house and killed all these children or this man who's raped this girl because it might he might make him it might make him feel bad." No. You had a righteous indignation and you exacted as much justice as you could within the law. So that was the right thing to do, Bruce, and so you don't need to apologize. Um, thank you. And, you know, I think it's, it's amazing to, to um, listen to the silence by so many people that should be at the forefront of defending not only the Jewish people but women. Um, you know, Michelle Obama was all over Boko Haram, like with uh, bring back our children, send back our children. Uh, she was asked about this. She was silent. She was asked by a, a, a member of the Israeli government. I believe she's the minister to women's stuff. Well, I don't know. I know her title in this moment. But she reached out to Michelle Obama thinking that maybe Michelle would speak out about what Hamas is doing. Uh, no, she, she refused to do that. She was silent. So I just, I'm glad you brought that up, because people should understand that. I would say on the bright spot, if there's anything bright about this, I watched a CNN clip uh, this morning. It was a clip that had aired a few days ago, maybe yesterday, uh, Jake Tapper uh, and others on this panel talking about what happened to the women 
Finally, CNN is talking about it and calling out women's groups and calling about other, out other groups for not saying anything about it. Jake Tapper is finding himself in this. And I thought that was pretty amazing that CNN would, would even la- allow that to uh, air. So maybe the tide is turning, Bruce. The worm might be turning on this issue. We, we pray that that's the case. Anything else on your mind over there? Well, I think what we need to be aware of is something that Shoshana brought up and that is the indoctrination of these Palestinian children from when they were, say, five, six years old, 50 years ago, and what it's caused. Because we are seeing a parallel indoctrination of United States children in school, left-wing politics, um, communism, socialism, um, shutting down of free speech. Those are the same things... In in type that were taught to these Palestinian children fifty years ago, and to Nazis about Jews, and to Nazi Nazis children. about Jews yeah. before that, yeah. it's always the same. And to communists before then, yes. And I want to mention one last thing for those of you that are Christians. Yet you're probably nodding, saying yes, yes, yes. But I want to tell you, there's a great danger in the church right now. It's it's in the evangelical church and it's in the mainstream churches, and that that's whole replacement theology. I'm just telling you that is the doctrine that you may have heard hints of that from your pastor. You may have heard hints of that from others, that the Jews no longer are the recipients of God's promises. That's like happened in the Old Testament, and now it's about born Christians have replaced Jews in the promises, and that the promises are not literal for Israel now in the land of Israel. I believe that that, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll take a stand, that thinking is from the pit of hell. And it's causing Christian young people to be lukewarm and confused themselves on Israel and their place in history and their place in the, in God's plan. And so be very careful, be very diligent. And if you want to challenge me, call me at 662-821-2040. I put my life on the line that God still loves Israel. He doesn't love their godlessness. He doesn't love their government. He loves the people. He has not forgotten his promises. Never, never expire. And so they are going to be his people until we take our last breath on this earth. So um, that's the great danger that we have in the, in the evangelical churches. And I'm just begging you uh, to think twice. I'm begging pastors. I'm begging you. I know you've been taught this at seminary. It's kind of like the thing at seminary now, and it is just not biblical. Please use your intellect and your knowledge of Scripture to think independently from professors who have bent you to this point of view. Okay, so that's that's my sermon for today. I, I do, honey, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's so important. Yeah. And so thank you for listening. So what you just heard is part one with Shoshana Bryan. Wonderful as it is, part two comes up next. So I hope that you will enjoy and stay tuned. And thanks for listening to today's edition of Sandy Rios 24-7.